I love the title of that, Relentless Love. When with the ransomed in glory his face I at last shall see, twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. I've entitled the message for this morning, I Fear God. What does that mean? Joseph's ten brothers had sold him over 20 years before this event took place. You'll remember he was 17 years old and they sold him to be a slave. They hated him. And now he's nearly 40 years old and they don't know that through an amazing process of events by God's grace, Joseph is now the most powerful man in the world. And if you were going to have food, it was going to have to come from Joseph. There was no other source. And his 10 brothers have gone down to buy food, not knowing that Joseph was now the head of Egypt. Let's pick up in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 42. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Now, do you remember Joseph's dream? He told his brethren when he was just a teenager, I dream that every one of you are going to be bowing before me. And oh, how they hated that. We're going to bow before you? That's why they sold him. Now, Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him, but he knows exactly who they are. And he sees them bowing before him. Verse 7, and Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, whence come ye? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. And said unto them, your spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said unto him, nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land are you come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father. And one is not, speaking of Joseph, they thought he was dead. And Joseph said unto them, That is that I spake unto you, saying, Your spies, hereby shall you be proved. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Benjamin. Now remember, Benjamin was his uh, 
mother's son as well. Rachel only had two children, and how special this young man was to Joseph. And he's not letting him know exactly what he's got in mind, but he's saying, if you bring your brother, that'll prove you're true. Now remember, they didn't know as yet who he was. Verse 16, send one of you and let him fetch your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you're spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. Now they spent three days in prison. What do you reckon they were thinking about? What do you reckon they were talking about? Maybe they'd never had this conversation before, but I dare say they were saying it's finally come back on us. What goes around comes around, and this is coming around. We are getting what we deserve because of the way we did our brother. And they were nervous. They were scared. They didn't know what was going to take place. Verse 18 Now Joseph appears unto them again, and Joseph said unto them the third day after they'd been in prison for three days, this do and live for, I fear God. Now you can bet that this shocked them. Uh, This was not the God of the Egyptians. This is Elohim. That's the word used. That's the plural of God. The same God that created the universe. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now they didn't know the fear of God was there. They assumed nobody believed Elohim, the God of glory, the God of the covenant, the God who created the universe. They just assumed nobody there believed him. And I'm sure they were shocked when Joseph came to them and said, I Fear God. The difference between me, Joseph is saying, and everybody else in Egypt is that I fear God. In Exodus chapter 11, some 400 years later, uh, Moses will say through the inspiration of God against the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast that you may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Now this is what Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 when he says who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you didn't receive? Now, if you differ from another, I know who made you to differ. God did. Elohim. I love the way God is called God in the plural. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. God made you to differ in eternal election when he chose you before time began. God the Son made you to differ when he bore your sins on Calvary's tree and put them away and gave you his righteousness. God the Holy Spirit made you to differ in that he gave you a heart that was not there before that loves and fears God. 
Now, God made you to differ, and you know what that difference is? It can be summarized by this. The fear of God. The fear of God. The believer fears God. The unbeliever has no fear of God. Turn with me, hold your finger there in John 42, or in Genesis 42, and turn with me for a moment to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10. As it's written, where would we be without a written revelation? We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Thank God for the written revelation. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. You know who that's talking about? You. Me. There's none that doeth good. Verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God. Before their eyes. This is the description of every one of us by nature. We're born into this world with no fear of God. And Joseph says to these people, I fear God. That's what distinguishes me. I fear God. The fear of God. The scripture calls the fear of God the beginning of knowledge. The scripture calls the fear of God the beginning of wisdom. Any knowledge or wisdom that I may think I have that is not founded in the fear of God is a false knowledge and a false wisdom. Now, before I go on, I want to talk about what the fear of God is not. And that's very important. I want to talk about what the fear of God is not. It's not the fear of hell. Now, if there's one kind of pre, I, there's a lot of kind of pre, any kind of preaching that's not gospel preaching, I hate. Amen. You believe that? Any kind of preaching that's not gospel preaching, I hate. But I tell you what, I hate it when preachers use what they call hellfire and brimstone preaching to try to scare people into the kingdom of heaven. You know, when I was growing up, there was actually a film going around where they'd show kids that it would talk about hell and, and describe hell. And, Man, everybody got saved that night. You know, I don't want to go there. 
That's not salvation. And you never scare anybody into the kingdom of heaven by scaring them about hell. Now, that's not talking, that's not denying the reality of hell. There is a place called hell. And the Lord said this. He said, um, fear not them that are able to kill the body. And after that, that's all they can do. I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Hell is real. But the fear of hell never caused anyone to truly believe the gospel. Might have scared them. Might have talked them into some kind of religious experience. The fear of punishment. The fear of mistrust. The fear of having no control. You know, that's the biggest illusion there is anyway. Somebody says, oh, I, you know, somebody that's a control freak, you don't have any control. Why would you be a freak about it? You have no control. The fear of being exposed, the fear of humiliation, the fear of loss is not the fear of God. That's just the fear of mistrust. That's all it is. You don't trust him and you're afraid of circumstances. That's not the fear of God. You know, people... Um, talked about say back in the 50s and 60s where there were more good uh, God-fearing men and women and and you know I I think about my when I grew up things were more moral uh, they really were they were more moral uh, all the stuff that's talked about in the papers all the time I'd never even heard of it I mean I just I, it, this stuff is is new but were those people back then more God-fearing no no fear of God is the worship of God. The fear of God is, is being given a heart to fear him. Only the believer fears God. Everybody that knows God fears him. Those who do not know him have no true fear of God. What is the fear of God? Let me read a passage from 2 Kings chapter 17. I'd like you to turn there if you would. 2 Kings chapter 17. This kind of represents... Uh, what men think of as the fear of God. Beginning in verse 24. 2 Kings 17, beginning in verse 24. This is after the children of Israel had been carried off into Babylon. Verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Cuthath and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharavim and placed them in the cities of Samaria. Instead of the children of Israel. Now this is where the Samaritans come from that we read of in the New Testament that everybody despised. The Pharisees despised these people. Here's their history. Here's where they come from. The Samaritans. Verse 25. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there, these people that the king of Babylon had placed there in Jerusalem because the children of Israel had been taken away. And it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. They had no fear of God. They didn't know who he was. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Now, that's going to get my attention. Lions all over the place. Uh, what are we going to do about this? They were concerned now. They didn't have any fear of God, but they were afraid of those lions. I would be too. You ever heard a lion roar? 
Verse 26, wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he hath, he hath sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Now what they're saying is you get a Levitical priest and bring him back here and let him teach everybody how to live and that way we can avoid these lines. Verse 28, Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit, Every nation made gods of their own, even though they had this priest teaching them the fear of the Lord. Howbeit, every nation made gods of their own, gods of their own imagination, gods of their own making, and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, and every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made Succoth, Benoth, and the men of Cuth, and Nergal, and men of Haman, of Ashima, and all these different names. Um, Verse 32, look at this. So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for him in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. Was that the fear of the Lord? Look at the last verse. So these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images, both their children and their children's, as did their fathers, so do they to this day. Now that would be an example of men's religion. Yeah, we say we fear the Lord, but we don't really fear him because we worship gods that are not him. False imaginations of God. We join them together. This will keep us from getting eaten by lions. Their fear was not the fear of God, but the fear of bad circumstances. That would illustrate men's religion, wouldn't it? Yeah, we fear the Lord. We want to get out of this thing of lions eating us. <laughs> that is the motive behind this kind of fear. Now, the fear of God is the fear the awe, the reverence, the respect toward him. It's not a fear of punishment. It's not a fear of bad circumstances. It's not a fear that, well, if I don't serve God, I'll wreck. I'll lose all my money. I'll get sick. That's not the fear of God. That's a mistrust of God. The fear of God is the reverence for him for who he is. Is. I love the disciples' reaction when they saw the Lord rebuke the winds and the storm, and suddenly there was a great calm. And the scripture says they feared greatly saying, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea do 
obey him. The fear of God is the response to seeing who he is. You know, the Son of God had the fear of God. Hebrews chapter 5 says he was heard and that he feared. Now, he wasn't afraid of bad circumstances. I mean, he came to go to the cross. He, he feared this thing of being made sin. There's no doubt about that. And the thought of being forsaken by God. But I love the way the scripture says with regard to him, he was heard in that he feared. That fear of which the psalmist said in Psalm 19, the fear of God is clean. You see, the fear of God is the new heart. The fear of God is being born again. People who have been born again, you know what they do? They fear God. They have a great respect and awe for the living God. They have a reverence for his person. This is the fear of the new birth. It's worship. Here's an example of the fear of God. There was a Syrophoenician woman and her daughter or son, I can't remember, uh, whichever, the demon possessed. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, thou son of my, David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. You know what the scripture says? He answered her not a word. Did she give up? Did she get angry? Did she say, well, this is not fair. I mean, I've asked him. Isn't he going to answer me? No, she continued to cry. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, thou son of David. And you know what he replied to her? Listen real carefully. He said, it's not right. No, no, he said, I've not come, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know what that means? I've only come for the elect. I have only come for the elect. That's exactly what that means. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. The elect. What did she do then? Did she get mad and say, well, what's the point in me doing anything? He's turning me away. You know what the scripture says? Then came she and worshipped him. Now you will only worship an absolute sovereign that you cannot control. You will worship and you will fear him. And I'm not talking about the fear of mistrust. You, you will only, now understand this. Me, this is true of me. This is true of you. If we can manipulate God, if we can get him to respond to us because of something we do, we'll never worship him. You'll only worship a God in whose hand you are and he can do with you whatever he's pleased to do. That is worship. That is fear. The fear of God. Turn with me to Jeremiah 32 for just a moment. I'd like you to read this as well. Jeremiah 32. 
beginning in verse 38. God is speaking and he says in verse 38, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever. For the good of them and of their children after them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. No natural man has the fear of God, but when God puts it in your heart, it's there (laughs) and you won't depart because of the fear of God. Now this fear, let me repeat, this is not just a phrase that's going to smash me if I do. It's an all of who he is. His otherness. His utter otherness. He's unlike anything in this world. He's the God of glory. And there's a fear and a respect and an awe of his person. The da- David, the man after God's own heart, said, I'm devoted to your fear. He said, unite my heart to fear thy name. Now listen real carefully, his name. Unite my heart to fear thy name. His name is his attributes. The person behind the name. It's not just articulating the name. The name of God is his holiness, his otherness. The name of God is his justice. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Absolute justice. The name of God is his immutability. He can't change. The name of God is his independence. He has no needs. He doesn't need me or you. The name of God is his omnipotence. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The name of God is his eternity. He never began to be. He'll never end. The name of God is his omnipresence. You can't go anywhere where he's not. The name of God is his omniscience. He's never learned anything. He knows everything. The name of God is majestic. We fear his name, don't we? We stand in awe at the glory of his person. You know, when I read the Bible, I better do so with the fear of God. When I even use his name, there's a realization that every time I even use his name, I'm taking it in vain because I'm not showing the proper reverence to it. Oh, let me be found in Christ. The name of the Lord, the fear of his name. Now, the one great indicator of fearing God is faith. (laughs) Faith in Christ. That's the one indication of the fear of God. If you have this fear of God, remember, I'm not talking about the fear of hell. I'm not talking about the fear of circumstances where I'm going to get in trouble if this happens. I'm talking about the fear of God. 
If you have the true fear of God, you are afraid to look anywhere but Christ alone. That is the fear of God. You don't want to stand before him on your own, in your own righteousness, in your own merits. You want to be found in Christ. That is the fear of God. Your continual greatest desire is, oh, that I may win Christ and be found in him so that when God looks at me, all he sees is Christ. And if I don't have that in my heart, it's because I don't have any respect or fear for God. I don't really know who he is. If I know who he is, I'll know that I only want to be found in Christ. You know, if somebody doesn't look to Christ alone, it's because they don't know who God is. They're ignorant of God. Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record. They have a zeal of God. They're very religious, but not according to knowledge. Ignorance of God. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. What do they do? They go back to establish their own righteousness. They've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Now the fear of God is a state of blessedness. Do you believe that? The fear of God is a state of blessedness. That means God has blessed you. Luke 150, his mercy is upon them that fear him. That's the evidence that he's had mercy on you. You fear him. Your fear was not the cause of his mercy. His mercy is the cause of your fear. Psalm 103, verse 11 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so is his mercy toward them that fear him. Psalm 103, verse 11, For as the earth, as the heaven or uh, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord taketh pleasure. Do you hear that? The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, them that hope in his mercy. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, For to this man will I look, even to him that's poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. Psalm 33, 18, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Psalm 25, 14 says the secret of the Lord the secret of the Lord. I love that. The intimate counsel, the secret of the Lord that you won't know unless he makes it known. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. He will show them his covenant. Psalm 34 verse 9 says there's no want to them that fear the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. Listen to this scripture. Psalm 130 verse 4. 
There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. You know who fears God? Someone who sees that the complete forgiveness of sins comes to them through Christ. And that makes them fear this reverence, this respect, this awe of God that he's made a way to be just and justify me and forgive all my sins for Christ's sake. You know what the response to that is? Fear, reverence, awe, respect. Proverbs 19 verse 23 says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. You know the only truly satisfied people are people who fear God. You know what they're satisfied with? They're satisfied with what God is satisfied with. What is God satisfied with? His son, his precious blood, his perfect righteousness. God is satisfied with his son. I am too. I find complete satisfaction in what God is satisfied with. It's only the fear of the the Lord that enables somebody to see that. And they are satisfied. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 says, Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You want to know what your duty is? Fear God. Keep his commandments. Believe the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and with fear. That ought to be something that's imperative in every one of us. Meekness and fear. I can give you the reason for the hope that's in me. Christ is all. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Now we know that the two men that were crucified with Christ are two representative men. I love the way the Bible always gives two representative men. It makes things simple, one, one or the other. And when these two men were initially nailed to the cross, both of them were spewing out venom against Christ. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Prove it. Get us off here. If there's anything to you, you can say this. The scripture says both the malefactors railed at him. But something amazing happened. Look in verse 39. And one of the malefactors. Now it began with both of them. But now it's just one. The other has grown silent. Now instead of hearing two people bark out against Christ, you only hear one. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering 
rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Now, he had something he'd never had before. The fear of God. The beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge. He now knew that Jesus Christ is God. God the Son. When he was saying, don't you fear God, he is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Creator. Don't you fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. We're getting exactly what we deserve. But this man hath done nothing amiss. He understood that Jesus Christ never sinned. How would he have known? Same way you and I know. Revelation. He had revealed to him who Jesus Christ is. He's God. We're getting exactly what we deserve. You didn't hear him calling into question God's fairness. We're getting exactly what we deserve. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Let's go on reading. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, he saw this man hanging on a cross where you couldn't even recognize his face with the blood coming down, mangled and bruised and crushed. And he says, Lord, he's the Lord. Now that's the fear of God, seeing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what does he say? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew he wouldn't stay on the cross. He knew he would return as a mighty reigning Lord. He knew that he must be successful in whatever he did. Somebody says, well, how, did, how could he know that? Because he knew who he was. That's why he's God. He's to be feared. He's done nothing amiss. He's going to come down from the cross and be buried, but he's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to come back as a mighty reigning king. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That is the fear of God. You remember the Roman centurion. Rome had such power because of the crucifix. They, they kept people afraid because, man, if, if you go against us, you're going to be nailed to a cross. And uh, they kept people in check because of that. That's the way they killed people. That's the way they punished uh, enemies of the government, enemies of the state. And this Roman centurion, he, he presided over many crucifixions. And when Christ was crucified, it was business as usual. I, we've got somebody else to crucify. We're doing this for the government. But when he saw the earthquake and the rocks 
rent when he heard Christ cry out the way he did. It is finished, the scripture says. He feared greatly, saying, surely this is the Son of God. Our fear of God is most clearly expressed by our answer to this question. What think ye of Christ? That's the only issue. What think ye of Christ? What do you think of him as the Christ, as God's prophet, God's priest, God's king? Whose son is he? He's the son of God. How God views me and you is seen in how we view his son. That is the fear of God. And may we all cry with David, Oh Lord, unite my heart to fear thy name. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in the high and the holy name of your Son your blessed Son, the Son that you love. We ask in his name, by thy Spirit, thou will unite our hearts to fear thy name and to look to thy Son only as our everything in your salvation. Bless your word for Christ's sake. In his name we pray.